We give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. There's a shift today as we move from parables in Matthew to the miracles of Jesus. The difference is that miracles were not mysteries or reflective stories like parables. Miracles came as wondrous acts by Jesus to make known the deeds among God's people. In American terminology, I guess you can just say it this way, less talk and more action. And yet miracles were never something apart from Jesus' word. Even the feeding of the 5,000 multiplication didn't come without Jesus' word and blessing to heaven. And yet miracles also are something today you quite know well are among those who are naturalist are not that popular. These are the kind of people fixed on the mechanics of how creation works. And so they would outright to your face deny any possibility of miracles. They're simply not consistent and unable to fit into the testable ways of man. And so in terms of data, miracles would be that outlier or classified as a fluke of nature. That's the thing about the Bible, though. It comes filled with miracles. However, it never stops with the miraculous stuff but it directs all attention to God. What Jesus did was actually consistent with Moses and the prophets. Miracles proclaimed an authority over creation. But for Jesus, when you think about it, it wasn't that big of a deal to him. Not like the others. Matter of fact, for all the wondrous Performed, you can think about Israel walking through water, the fiery pillar, or after Jesus ascends and what Paul could do or Peter could do as apostles. For all of those things, what happened at the time of, of Christ and his coming was an overabundance of miracles. Attention went to the Heavenly Father who was at work and sending his one and only Son. And so the feeding of the 5,000, while impressive, and all of us would know that, most people do, they still make shows that kind of mock it. But for all of that, that only actually finishes out the day. What was going on from morning to evening was the greatest miracle. The compassion of Jesus is the only true and lasting satisfaction since he reigns with his kingdom. And there's forgiveness that comes with it. And so plenty of troubles came upon a single day, right? How would you like to get up the first day that we wake up and you hear the news? And it's a death notice. Some people experience that in life, and Jesus did too. It made him withdraw to a desolate place. Matter of fact, Matthew records this news of how it started it out. All four Gospels have the feeding of the 5,000. Only Matthew mentions the death notice that came to Jesus. And how do we know this? Because 
the previous verses that you don't hear today that begin Matthew chapter 14 talk about the injustice that came from King Herod against John the baptizer, a flesh and blood cousin of Jesus, the last and greatest of the prophets, and the forerunner who would prepare the way of the Lord met a great evil. We know pain of loss and sad news of tragedy that makes us withdraw. Hopefully not into self. That's typically what happens when we hear that kind of stuff. But really, it should go to the Lord for relief. And yet the injustice rendered against John the baptizer was more than an obituary announcement. It's like how David, when you read the Psalms of Lament, and so like Psalm 12, David would say, opening words, save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. That's what I think about when I think about John's death. And so by his withdrawing, Jesus was left alone to pray to the Father, but also we know to contemplate what it would be for him to be the Lamb of God who would take away the Son of the world, just like John preached. Such a desolate place also had needs. The disciples knew how to care for themselves, right? They did it as a group. It was all those coming out from the towns that flooded the sea. Whether or not they knew about John's death, these people's needs outweighed all the other kind of grieving. Such a desolate place was not good, and it only magnified what Jesus saw so clearly. Before him was a great crowd with great needs, seeing the poor afflicted and the spiritually oppressed. This heartache still happens in a fallen creation. Bodies, too, still fall under death, and systems of man, yep, they still make a mess of things and end up being deficient. The question by Isaiah you heard in the Old Testament reading kind of looms in the background. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? And so God says through Isaiah, come. It's more than a stewardship issue though, isn't it? A theology of glory is what we call it as Lutherans that runs after miracles because that's what they're there for. But it, the harder problem is to deny our life and situation as sinners. That's the hard stuff. And so the day was finally over. And as you know, with the day, that was it. And so over the next day, right? Miracle working was one thing, but the need for food, pretty fright up front. It seemed Jesus was not doing what he should do. And so the disciples gave a compassionate solution. The crowds go to the villages. They're right there. And return the next day, even to this place if they wanted to. Jesus dismissed that kind of good reasoning, and he appealed to what he knew the disciples lacked. Power was made perfect in weakness. 
The disciples did not see it that way, though, to be a good thing. The laws of life and our helplessness make us retreat rather than to flee to Jesus. Distress clouds out what our Lord has promised. And so we can go back to the Sermon on the Mount. What does Jesus say to his saints? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so we hear all this in perspective of man for a day, and it's heavy. It's called the law. But the compassion of Jesus does satisfy beyond a day. We know this because of the good news of forgiveness. Death and evil have met God's justice in his son. Jesus, as the true God, opened himself up to share in our sorrows, and so he mourned over John. He didn't have to open himself up to that. And as perfect man, he knew the demand set before his life to be offered up for all in the cross. He knew where it was going. God's justice was not, was not Jesus going to be waving his hand and setting it all right to make and prove a point to, king, king, to evil King Herod. It wasn't going to go that way. His course, the baptizer preached, and as you know, and so did all the prophets. It was to win justice by forgiveness through suffering and death. Unlike Herod's service to evil, Jesus upheld more than the good. And it's good to uphold good things. But Jesus reigns by his service with a kingdom built out of the gospel. And that's even greater. Such love is not approval, of course, for injustice against the law. And we have much of it today. But it's to be under this king. And it's to hear his truth. And so Jesus says this to conclude chapter 3 of John. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The godly one is not gone. Jesus died and lives with forgiveness sufficient for a sinful world, for you, and for all our struggles. And so in a desolate place, life again became the Garden of Eden by God's grace because the tree of life would be set upon the truth of his Son. The, need, the needs of the many, as we say, did not outweigh the few because it does, but not with the service from Jesus. Any grief over John or the cross was set, set aside, right? For compassion. His compassion, not our kind of thinking, but Jesus' way of thinking. It was what was not a good place. Jesus made good by his grace. And it came with much mercy toward the weak and the poor and the suffering. You can only imagine how different that place was all the miracles that Jesus was doing. And probably the disciples did not know how to manage all that he was able to do. His compassion for a day toward the crowds was not for the sake of miracles, 
but to place the greater need for all that would be in his sacrifice. Forgiveness is more than seeking mercy. Mercy is for this need and that need in life. And so it's okay, yep, to even look for help from God in any time of trouble, but it's the comfort of Christ for you that reigns because of what he's done for us all. Mercy is needed for the present time, and we can pray for a miracle or two to happen. But baptism has flooded us with the gift of God's grace to be in Christ, to die and rise with him, and to have this before our days, all our days, even the hard days. Not even Israel and all the glories and miracles God did with those people in that nation grasped such good news. Because you heard what St. Paul said today. It's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. We talked about that in Bible study. But the promise is God is the promiser. To believe in him, to trust in what he is for us and our salvation. That's what Jesus is as King and Lord of the cross. And so the day over meant provision came from Jesus. Simple as that. For all the worries and inability by the disciples over the need, there was compassion even toward them as Jesus said about the little they had. What did he say? He didn't really say, oh, that's not enough. He didn't say and embarrass them. He just said, bring them here to me. That's what they lacked. Trust and confidence in Christ. And so feeding the 5,000 was all up to him. That was it. And he provided it in full and with leftovers. And his disciples were to serve the people, weren't they? With what he gave so that they were all satisfied. And the funny thing is you got to wonder, Jesus was doing it. The, the, the miraculous multiplying, but the disciples were the ones getting the attention. I wonder if they all knew it was coming from Jesus. And of course, we know from what happens from this scene, they did. But you got to kind of wonder, the immediate reaction was just like, time to eat. And so the disciple would have served the people what he gave to be satisfied. The disciples were the delivery men of a great feast. But note this very important thing. None stood out from another. You don't hear Peter's name being tossed around. You don't hear any of this stuff that you hear in other times with the disciples. You just see them acting on behalf of Jesus. It was not about their ability, but serving Christ's compassion. And it goes the same with pastors today, because these disciples would become apostles. To deliver the feast of victory, where Jesus blesses not heaven, but he blesses bread and wine to give the Eucharist. And the word Eucharist in Greek means thanksgiving. All right? It's the Lord's Supper his blessed sacrament. 
the Lord and Savior present to forgive, comfort, and strengthen His church on earth. He does it in every place out of His abundance. Christ provides more than manna in the wilderness or feeding the 5,000, but our body and souls can flee to Him in this sacrament. And even the whole church can know His care. That is the confidence of which pastors deliver these gifts throughout the whole world for the sake of Christ's church. Lots can happen in a single day, can it? What does that mean for a lifetime? For your lifetime? Morning to evening holds a consistent miracle. You'll look for other ones, I'm sure. But what's the consistent one? The compassion of Jesus is the only true and lasting satisfaction because he does reign from his kingdom with forgiveness. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.